Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Rishi Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Mike Mutka, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Reliance. Mike is an executive leader with over 30 years of experience in medical equipment, products, and software. He also founded Straightaway Health Careers in 2017, where he remains part of the leadership team. Relias helps its clients deliver better clinical and financial outcomes by reducing variation in care. The platform employs performance metrics and assessments to reveal specific gaps in clinical knowledge and addresses them with personalized, engaged learning. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thanks for having me, Rishi. Appreciate it. Awesome. I just want to start out with, with a simple, how are you doing right now? How, how is life? You know, it's like everybody, it's certainly been a surprising and challenging year. And I, I think it hit everybody so quickly and everybody was kind of figuring it out as they went along. But it was also really a, a very amazing year. I was really, really thrilled with the way our organization and our employees quickly transitioned to a work from home kind of an environment and kind of kept the trains running on time and really working hard to keep taking care of our customers. So certainly been a hard year, but it was a very gratifying year for us. We were able to do a lot to kind of help our clients as they were coping with everything they've been coping with. Having said that, I'm just curious about your own background and like what got you to this point, because obviously this is coming into the last year or so. Your personal background in healthcare is just fascinating and, and obviously it gives you a unique perspective on covid Maybe we can start with your beginning and just tell us about how you got interested initially in Elias. It's funny because I've been for 30 years doing things in sales, marketing, product management with medical products, especially in senior care. But in 2005, for a variety of family reasons, I was relocating to the Raleigh area and I just happened upon Relias or the predecessor of Relias, which was Silverchair Learning. And they connected with me and it kind of came together and it was a startup and I was employee number five and my spare bedroom upstairs was global sales and marketing headquarters. And I'm not sure exactly why I was willing to take the risk of going to a startup versus more corporate jobs that I had, I had typically had, but the people that were getting started with the company had so much passion and I felt like the product clearly had so much opportunity. And it was really, it was online training for the skilled nursing environment. And in skilled nursing, there was a huge need for more consistent, higher quality training that was current with the regulations, that was flexible for people to do it differently than traditional classroom. And there were huge issues with managing training and compliance and tracking. And I just was really, really excited about the impact I thought the product could have in, in that particular market. And so I took the plunge and it's been fantastic ever since then. So you were employee number five at Relias. I was employee number five at Osmosis. So I, I can relate to nice. what I feel like. <laughs> and you know what your mindset yeah. might have been like. Tell me a little bit about how your role has evolved uh, over time. Obviously, you just mentioned you, you were there at the inception of it. What is it like now and what has that journey been like? You know, so I was president of Relias and then we did a merger through our private equity firm that funded us 
with one other company that was called Essential Learning and then became Relias. And so then I moved from president of Relias into sales and marketing and integrating those two companies. And then I did several years of kind of focus on mergers and acquisitions and us acquiring other competitors and other players to consolidate our offering. And then I kind of stepped away at the request of our parent company to do the startup company straight away and came back about a year and a half ago to do the product management role and really help focus on our growth strategy for the next three to five years, our product vision and how we become more truly a product innovation organization because we had done so many acquisitions and things like that, that it was really kind of an opportunity to kind of pause and go, what do we want to be over the next three to five years? And so that's really been my focus, building the team, getting the vision, the strategy, starting to execute on it to to really truly be innovative with our products in the future. So obviously that's a pretty pretty massive amount of growth. I guess I'd be curious to know what are some some lessons you learned as you as you went through all those kind of mergers and acquisitions and grew from a small organization to a to relatively large one. Yeah, when we first came together as Relias for the first time in 2012, we were about 130 employees or so. And since then, you know, we went 2x in growth over the first two years and then 3x over the next three years. And also both at a rapid rate for organic growth and acquisitions. And so we knew that the company would literally probably kind of implode if we didn't have a, a good plan in place for how we were going to scale the business, the culture and everything. So I feel like, you know, there were kind of three general areas that we really, really focused on to make sure that we held it together. And one was we did a lot of planning around culture building and not just, you know, defining our values and communicating them, but also thinking about how that would impact how we recruited and selected people, how we onboarded them, and how we supported them over time. So we really, really were very intentional in setting up people and infrastructure to make sure that was going to be consistent with our culture. And then from our team standpoint, we really tried to recruit people that were very mission-driven. And I did a survey maybe about a year ago, and about 90% of our employees, our mission as a company was really, really important to them in their role and in what they were doing. And we really focused on people that are kind of client obsessed. We actually started tracking how many lives we think were in some way impacted by what our product does. We really focused on that team. And then the last thing was really getting our product vision, you know, kind of in, in place and, you know, where we want to go with the product over the next few years, because there's just been so much technology with AI and with new forms of learning and everything. So thinking about those, those things. And so those were critical factors. And then the other was we had a really, really great parent company. Our parent company is Bertelsmann. It's a 180 year old closely held family owned company. And the beautiful thing is as opposed to kind of more of a private equity where at times you're really thinking in months and quarters, they really think in decades. And so they really have an incredible long-term perspective and a strategic patience and a willingness to invest for the long-term. And lots of people talk about that, but they really walk that talk. So those have been the things that have really been critical to, to keeping us from going off the rails as we've been growing as fast as we have. 
That's fascinating, especially that long-term view. I, I honestly have not heard that. You know, the idea of kind of planning for decades is is remarkable, and especially the the pace at which things go now. I love to be a fly on the wall in these meetings just to think about how you talk about decades ahead, because sometimes it feels like it's just one yeah. foot in front of the other for a lot of people. My next question is about culture, because you just talked about how you have this wonderful culture internally. And of course, your company is extending out to clients and training people. And, and how do you get that culture within Relias out to the, the greater community of people that you touch? It's a great question. And it really, really starts, you know, in the selection process. We would do quite a lot of techniques and testing and screening and other things to look for people that show real evidence of not just telling people you care, but showing that you care. So looking for evidence of that, of just, because really, you know, by the time you're 21 years old or so, you kind of either care or you don't about other people. And and it's really, really important. I would rather have somebody with no formal education that deeply cares about customers and their problems and somebody with a PhD that doesn't care that much. So we really, really focused on that caring. And even in the early, early stages of their onboarding, like our onboarding for our our employees is not that much about product or even their actual jobs. It's heavily about mission, vision, going out and visiting our clients, understanding what a day in the life is for them. We really try to constantly emphasize to people that You know, if you're sitting in our office working, your worst day is so much easier than the typical day of our clients. And every time you call them, that call you have with them might be the best part of their day. And if you can make that the best part of their day, then you're you're really, really doing well. And so we really just continue to stress that, you know, and, and then as we bring people in and continue to do that. The managers we bring in, it, it kind of just continues. We kind of learn what to look for. You know, you mentioned, obviously, you have this long view. Your parent company is family-owned. You're a close-knit organization. When something comes up that's unexpected, like COVID, how do you respond and how has the last year been compared to what, what you thought it would be like maybe a year and a half or two years ago? You know, I think because of our owners and the long-term vision and the thinking in decades and everything pretty early on when things started to happen last March. I mean, we consciously came together as a leadership team and said, you know what? Our best business strategy this year is just to focus on our clients and the problems they're going through and not worry about the numbers and the plans. Because, you know, in March, you've usually just come off your like January sales kickoff and launching all your plans. And and we had a, you know, a completely normal January sales kickoff where you'd heard something about some virus that was happening over in China, but that's not going to be a a big deal for us. And we just kind of said, okay, you know, forget about all of that stuff. What's going on for our clients? What are their problems? How do we help them? Whether it's product, service, structuring things differently. And the bottom line is that this is one of those once in a long time events where People will remember who was there for them when they were in crisis for a long, long time. That will create tremendous loyalty because in every client relationship, there are ups and downs and sometimes you screw up. And, And most of the best clients we've ever had for years that I've been involved with 
at some point or time, if I talk to them, they'll be like, well, remember back in 2008 when you guys really messed that thing up and you really came through for us. And then that's when I knew you were, you were the right partner. And so we really emphasized that that was this kind of a year. And so as a result, you know, we've been fine. We're actually investing more heavily at the end of last year and this year in our product and, and growth. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you, you have such a perspective because you work with so many partners. And so you've seen a wide variety of responses, probably. What do you think COVID has revealed about the healthcare system broadly? And, and what steps do you think could be done to strengthen the healthcare system now that you've seen yeah. it play out? Golly, I think we could probably spend most of the afternoon on like the like the policy and the infrastructure and, you know, healthcare as a system and the design and all, all of that kind of stuff and probably still just scratch the surface. But when I think about it, like some things that we really saw that were relevant for us had seen kind of before, but were really accelerated by COVID was that I really believe that in healthcare, rapid sharing of best practice is more important than ever and having flexibility and agility. And it's really like the time between when you have a problem and you identify a best practice and you turn it into common practice everywhere. And I forget, I saw some data once upon a time a few years ago that like from the time when some first best practices are identified to when they become common everywhere is many, many years in healthcare very typically. And so I think a lot about what role we can play in helping people accelerate learning and becoming a learning organization, an agile learning organization. And so for us, it's about, you know, helping people learn and connect and share with technology. And I think we've seen this year that companies that were more comfortable doing that and that were more tech enabled pivoted better. You know, if they were more comfortable doing telehealth, I think I saw that telehealth consumption by healthcare consumers went from like 11% in 2019 to 46% last year. And think how long it took to get to 11%. And it went to 46 in one year and like 75% said, yeah, we like this. We're going to do more of it. So people that are able to pivot and identify places to use technology in situations like that are going to do really, really well. And they're going to, they're going to win. So I think we saw that. And then the other thing, I think just with the system in general, like on a personal level, I have doctors, RNs, social workers, mental health professionals, special needs professionals, all in my family. And so, you know, I, I hear a lot. And I think one thing that's coming out of the last year is the importance of supporting the mental health and wellness of caregivers through really, really hard times and making sure that with everything they're going through, you know, if you're a nurse, frontline caregiver, you're always feeling safe, supported, and respected. And that ongoing that we provide, you know, support for people that have gone through so much, you know, stress and traumatic kind of experience, you know, holding things together for our country. And so I think that's, I think the importance of balance and wellness for caregivers is a big lesson. And I think companies, organizations, healthcare providers that do that well will be rewarded by much better retention and be able to get the best people and everything. Because I think people are really understanding how much, how important that is and how much they need to value that. 
Yeah, there's, there's, of course, the lesson we learn when we sit in an airplane where they say, put your mask on first before you put one on your child. And yeah. I think when I first heard that, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> How is that possible? Yeah. But in there is the wisdom of, you know, you can't really fill other people's cup if your cup isn't full. And That's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point around kind of caring for caregivers in general. I am curious, your point about teaching is interesting as well. And as a teaching organization, we, we love to learn. And a lot of the folks that, that tune into the podcast love to learn. Do you mind sharing anything? It could be a, a, from any field, business or, or healthcare or whatever, or from your personal life, any sort of nugget of knowledge where Mike knows X and, and maybe Rishi and other listeners don't know it. And after kind of hearing what you have to say, maybe you, you can share that with us and we would know it too. Well, there's, there's a couple of things in this may be a blinding flash of, of the obvious, but you know our company is in an industry that gets referred to as SaaS, software as a service. And I think we tend to think a lot more about the software piece. That's kind of where everything's at, the incredible software, the killer app, you know, the program, the functionality and everything. But it's software as a service. And so we're a software company, but it's really important to us that we've got tons of clinicians and doctors, nurses, social workers, PTs, you know, therapists, healthcare executives on our team so that we really truly understand our, our clients better. It doesn't really matter how great your software is if you don't have people that just kind of back to earlier conversation that fundamentally deeply care about solving clients' problems. You can teach so many of those other things, knowledge and other things, but you can't teach people to deeply fundamentally care about solving a client's problems. So I, I think that's just such an important thing to build into your culture. You mentioned that you look for people that have that caring kind of nature and maybe an aptitude for caring and empathy and compassion. I am curious, obviously, they're going to stay with you for a long time. How do you nurture that? How do you keep them caring? Maybe they cared when they first came, but after six, seven years, maybe they, they yeah. don't care as much. How do you keep that going? So we try to do a lot of both formal and informal recognition kinds of programs on a monthly, quarterly basis. Also programs that we have that allow people to catch somebody doing something right and reward them, you know, real time with, you know, like Relias points or other, other things like that. So we really try to create a, a culture like that that's set up where people get recognized for doing that. We do a monthly all hands presentation too, and a regular staple of that is as often as possible to have one of our clients in that monthly all hands to just come and talk and go, here's the problem we were having and here's how your product helps and here's how it was meaningful to us. And so we try to make sure we, you know, we're doing that too, because it's about understanding what's going on for the clients, but then making sure that people see the connection about what they do every day and how it does ultimately make a difference. Because we know, you know, like I said, 90% of our people are super mission driven. So if we can then do a good job of recognizing and appreciating them for that, and also making sure they see the connection between what they do and, and that mission, then you really can try to, that's more firewood on the fire to keep things going. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, what I'd like to close with is advice. You know, you have a very interesting career and you work at a very interesting company and you touch a lot of lives in a very real way. That's very special. And a lot of students and, and folks listening in maybe early stage in their career 
yeah. and wonder how they get to maybe a place that you're at or, or something that may be of interest for them. What advice do you have for folks kind of as they come out at this point in time in history? Yeah, I think in general for caregivers, I think I would say, you know, most people enter healthcare careers because they feel deeply a drive or a purpose and a desire to care for others. They are caregivers and that's why they do it. And then it's an extremely demanding profession that can really drain everything out of your tank, you know, on a regular, regular basis. And so I, I think it's really, really important to never lose sight of the fact that even if you just helped one person or saved one person's life today, it's tremendous. Cause I think about it like one time, like 10 years ago, I was in an emergency situation where somebody was having a health crisis and I did something that helped save that person's life. One time, 10 years ago, I still remember that today, like it was yesterday and feel like, wow, they're still walking around because of me. And I think when you're caring every day and stuff, it's just really important not to lose sight of that and, and what a tremendous gift, even if it was just one person that you gave, and then just going back to what we talked about before of not losing sight of self-care, you have to be a good caregiver to yourself to be able to give your very best to others. And so I, I just think giving yourself some, some grace, even if you're having a hard week or you know month or day or whatever, recognizing you're still making a huge difference in somebody's life and then making sure you're taking care of yourself. You're taking time to have balance and caring about your wellness. Yeah, that's a really profound kind of point to end on because I think that that, that self-balance is something that a lot of us forget. And sometimes, yeah. you know, in my own case, I can say... I have been there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And when you're in balance, everyone around you kind of starts to feel it. Yeah, I can't thank you enough, Mike, for, for being with us here today. It was a really wonderful conversation. Thanks, Rishi. I really appreciate you having me. Great. Well, I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>